All right. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1. Your Bible or your phone or whatever you have, hopefully within the next few months, your Bible will just automatically open to the book of Acts, or your phone will become frozen on the book of Acts, because we are going to spend a good amount of time in Acts as we start to make this transition of thinking about what does it mean to be a church. Backing up to January and leading up to Easter, we were asking the question from 1 Peter, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the reality of being a Christian is that that is something that we don't do alone. We do that as a part of a group of people. We do that as a part of a church. And so we're making this transition. Thank you for that. Very important thing I left behind. So uh, this is pretty much the story of my life. I forget something, Amanda comes to the rescue. I mess up, Amanda comes to the rescue. That's pretty much how it works. So, uh, um, but we're looking at the, the book of Acts and thinking about what does it mean to be a church. In the last few weeks, we've been asking specifically what does it mean to be First Baptist Church? What are we gearing toward? What is our purpose? And so we're trying to bring all of, all of this together. Next week, we're going to pass out bookmarks, pass out reading bookmarks that you can use to read through the book of Acts. And I hope that you'll take that bookmark and you will take seriously what it means as a church that we read through the book of Acts between now and the beginning of December. And I know it's hard to think about next week, much less December, but what the book of Acts will allow us to do is read a chapter at a time leading up to the end of this year. And so you're going to get a bookmark next year, or next, next year, next week to guide us through this time. All right, let's jump into it right now. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and the text will also be up on the screen behind us as we're reading along here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from you, from your word. God, teach us what it means to be a church, to be Christians on mission together. God, make that clear in our minds, and then set it deep within our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we're in the process, and I know that you're starting to either love or hate this chart, one of the two, okay? But as we're in the process of thinking about what it means to be a church, our mission is that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. So Jesus is our focus, and we're going to speak about that with our mouth, we proclaim that, and we're going to display that with our lives. 
And based on God's word, especially Colossians chapter 1, 28 through 29, and especially 1 Peter chapter 2, this idea that we are going to do those things supremely, we are going to say and show that Jesus is worthy of worship, that he is greater than all else. We're going to do that fully. Every part of our lives are impacted. Every part is impacted by who Jesus is. And so we want to know him. We want to live that out. We want to teach that and show that to others. And then this week, we get to the third row. We get to widely. And the word we're using for widely is missions. And so we are going to cross barriers. We are going to cross boundaries. We are going to do whatever it takes to be on mission. Because we need to proclaim, we need to speak about Jesus to other people. If Jesus is kind of important, one option out of many others, then it's not that important that we tell other people. But if Jesus truly is God, if he is Savior and Lord and he is worthy of worship, then we give up our lives to tell people about that as wide as we can go, as far as we can go. We want to show other people. We want to serve other people. And so we're driving downward. A worshiper is a disciple and a disciple is a missionary. And so we think about our identity. Our identity is worshiper. Our identity is disciple, and our identity is missionary. And we come to see ourselves in all three of those roles because of who Jesus is. But here's an important connection. We need to make a connection between the top row and the bottom row. And here's that connection. The connection is found in a quote from a man named John Piper in a really good book about missions called Let the Nations Be Glad. And the quote simply says that missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. If all people everywhere were worshiping God, there would be no reason to do missions because everyone would be doing what they were made to do. They would be glorifying God. But we are on mission because there are people who are not worshiping God, who are not giving their lives fully to Jesus. And so our response is that we will be on mission so that people will become worshipers. And here's a very, very important point that comes from that. Our goal in doing missions, in going out widely to tell people about Jesus, is not just to make converts. It's not to bring more people into our club. It's not to increase our attendance. Our main goal is to see other worshipers created, who will then become disciples, who will then become missionaries who will then go out so that other people will worship Jesus, and they will become disciples who will become missionaries. Our goal is to see worshipers created, not to add converts to our group. And that changes our mindset. It changes the way that we do missions. It changes the way that we live our life. And it changes the way that we think about our church. Because our goal is not to make our church great. Our goal is so that we can help other people see how great God is. And so it's not how big can we grow, how much can we do for ourselves, how much can we increase our popularity. Our goal is how can we point people toward God so that they will see his greatness and they will see his love and they will see his grace. Because imagine if, if worshipers are standing before God. Okay, so imagine that you are standing before the Lord and you are worshiping him and you turn to the person beside you and you say, isn't my worship great? 
I think my worship is a little bit better than, than your worship. You know, I think I'm doing this a little bit better than you are. What have you done in that moment? You've taken the focus off God, and you've put the focus on yourself. Some of our friends from, uh, from Jacob's Well are, are here this morning. And we could say, Jacob's Well, you guys try really hard, you know, and you're doing your best up there, but we really know how to worship. How strange does that sound? That God's people would say, we've got it figured out, but you don't. What this helps us to think about is that we are all worshiping God, and our goal is to see all people worship God, and so we will go widely, we will do whatever we can to see that happen. And it changes our mindset, it changes the way we think about it. All right, let's see this in the book of Acts. So go back in your Bible, go back in your phone. We're going to try to keep this on the screen uh, as we go along. Let's go back to Acts, and let's think about this idea of missions and why we do missions, what it looks like to do this as a church. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. A man named Luke is writing this. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is the third book in the New Testament, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Um, And and so this is kind of volume 2 of Luke's work. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is who Luke is writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So after Jesus' resurrection, there's this period of 40 days before Jesus ascends back to the Father. And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we see some of that happening. And then as the book of Acts begins, Luke is picking up that same theme. And he says, I've already wrote to you about what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Now I'm going to write to you about what it looks like to be the church, what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. And so this is how the book of Acts begins. But we want to see a couple of quick connections. There's an important connection here to the end of Matthew's Gospel. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Look at those verses as well on the screen. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 is that great commission where Jesus tells them, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. So what Jesus commands his followers to do at the end of Matthew is to go and make disciples of all nations. Luke, as he's writing the, gospel of, writing the book of Acts, is picking up on this idea of all nations. That the gospel is meant to spread. The good news about Jesus is meant to spread to all people. Specifically, this shows up at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 24, if you look at verses 47 through 49, I know you don't have time to flip there, but they're going to be on the screen as well. Luke 24, verses 47 through 49 Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, where? To all nations. So there's this theme at the end of Matthew and the end of Luke, there's this idea of all nations. And then at the end of this verse, in verse 49, it says, Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What city? The city of Jerusalem. What do you mean by this power on on high? Well, you go back to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus referring to the fact that he is going to send the Holy Spirit to give power to carry out what he's called them to do. Look back in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them 
and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. We just talked about that part. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is preparing his disciples, saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the power to carry out this mission that I've given you. If you skip down to verse 7, it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, there's Jerusalem again, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, a couple of important things about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. First of all, this summer we are going to memorize this verse together. And so if you feel a little shaky on your memory skills and you want to get a head start, we're going to memorize Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Next week we'll pass out a little card that you can keep with you to, to help practice this. But this is why it's underlined. This is going to be uh, our focus. A couple of things from this verse. Notice that Jerusalem is emphasized again. There's something that Luke is doing with the city of Jerusalem. If you go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel begins with this story that takes place in the temple. So Luke's gospel begins in the temple. And it talks about the ministry that Jesus is involved in, but then Jesus goes away from Jerusalem. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, something really interesting happens. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, says that Jesus set his gaze. He set his focus toward Jerusalem. And the end of Luke's gospel is all about Jesus headed, to toward, headed toward Jerusalem, ultimately to be crucified and then to come back to life. And so the book of Luke begins in Jerusalem. The middle part goes away from Jerusalem and the end of Luke ends in Jerusalem. Well, where does Acts begin? It begins in Jerusalem. Where does Acts end? Not Jerusalem. <laughs> it begins in Jerusalem, and it says, you will be my witnesses there, but you will go out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Luke is doing something very important. He says that there are key events that happen in Jerusalem, but this message was never meant to stay there. And so this idea of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, think about concentric circles, or, or think about a spiral or a bullseye or something like that. Jerusalem would be that near. It would be that area kind of right there in the middle. Judea and Samaria are regions. They're regions around there, regions that you may not really like, but you're a part of. And then the ends of the earth goes out beyond that. What Acts 1.8 does, and we'll see this over the next several months, Acts 1.8 is an outline. It's a pattern for how the book of Acts will unfold. You'll have all these events happen in Jerusalem, then it'll start to spread out to Judea and Samaria, and ultimately the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts 1.8, Luke is setting the stage for us about how the gospel, how the good news of Jesus is going to spread out from there. And there are three things 
Every good sermon needs three points, I guess. And so there are three things from Acts 1-8 that I want you to see. On the back of your bulletin, you got some notes there you can follow along with. There are three things we want to know about being on mission. Here's number one. Mission is spirit-empowered. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This mission that Jesus has called us to cannot be accomplished without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's hear this as clearly as we can as a church, okay? No matter how many good plans we make, no matter how many charts I put together, no matter how hard you work, the mission that we have been called to, to see all people worship God, is a mission that we cannot accomplish without the power of the Holy Spirit. Will not happen. If we set out on our own agenda, with our own plans, hoping that our, our efforts will make this happen, we will fail miserably. And so what the enemy will try to do is distract us with all these little things from the side. Focus on this. Focus on that. Get busy with this. Get busy with that. This is a really good plan. You should pursue that. All the while, we forget that we cannot accomplish this mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget that this is not a power that only a couple of people have. It's a power that all people who have trusted in Jesus for salvation... They have received that forgiveness. They have received that new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here and you are a worshiper and you are a disciple, that means that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in your life to accomplish this mission. And as a church, we need to be prepared to dig deep into this idea of the Holy Spirit. We need to read. We need to study. We need to know this. And so I want to help us with that this morning. We're going to read The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village by Francis Chan. The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village is based on another book called Forgotten God, but this one's shorter. I I like this one. So, Once upon a time, in a happy little village, a big red tractor lived in a cozy little shed. I know your eyes are good, and you can see that tractor, but it's a red tractor. Each year, when the snow started to melt, the villagers knew it was time to plow their field. So every morning, they'd go out to the little shed and wake up the big red tractor. They loved the powerful put-put-kaboom noises he made, and they cheered because the big red tractor helped them with their hardest job, plowing the field. Everyone worked together to move the big red tractor through the field. Half the villagers pushed him, and the other half pulled him. He smiled cheerfully, glad to help, even though they never seemed to move him very far. The villagers worked very hard, and they always finished plowing the field just in time to plant delicious vegetables and sweet fruit before the rain came. The rain fell from the sky and watered the field. Then the sun came out and made the seeds grow. Finally, the villagers gathered all the food in large baskets. Everyone celebrated, everyone shared, there was just enough food to feed the whole village. Then one cold day, something amazing happened. Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic and discovered a book tucked inside an old chest. 
it explained how the big red tractor had been made. And it showed powerful things no one knew he could do. Farmer Dave stayed up all night reading the book. He couldn't wait to tell everyone what he had discovered. The next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. The big red tractor can move on its own. If we fix him, he could plow the entire field in just one day. Nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor could move on its own. They said it sounds like a fairy tale. They laughed at him and went back to their work. This made Farmer Dave very sad. You'd think the third grade and below were still in here the way I'm reading, but I'm just in storybook mode. So, But Farmer Dave didn't stop believing what he had read. Every night while the villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave stayed up late fixing the big red tractor. Finally, after many nights, Farmer Dave was done. He jumped onto his big red tractor and turned him on again. Kaboom. He jumped in the driver's seat and had so much fun that he plowed the whole field that very night. Oh, page stuck together. The next morning, the villagers woke up to a huge surprise. Their work was done for them. They would not have to spend many weeks pushing and pulling the big red tractor over fields of dirt. It's a miracle. Who did this for us? Look over there. There's Farmer Dave asleep on the tractor. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the big red tractor. The people shouted happily, Farmer Dave was right. The tractor book is true. That year, the villagers plowed and harvested many fields. They had so much extra food that they were able to share it with people in other villages who needed it. When they visited other villagers, Farmer Dave and the Big Red Tractor always took the book with them so that they could teach others the wonderful news they had learned. The little village kept sharing, and the villagers became known as the most generous people in the world. Did you know that you are like the Big Red Tractor? God made you, and he knows just how you work best. He wrote a book full of truth that you can read to help you know how to live too. The Bible tells us that if we try to do things on our own, we won't accomplish much. But if we trust in Jesus, God gives us his spirit so we'll have new power. The power to love others and tell them about God. Big Red Tractor in the Little Village. So many times, as Christians, as churches, we go out there and we pull the tractor and we pull the tractor, and we push the tractor, and we say, we're trying so hard, and we've got so many programs, and I'm so tired, and we're doing all these things, and we just don't seem like we're accomplishing much. And then I'm forced to look at myself and say, are we trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do this work, or, or are we trusting in our own efforts, our own ideas, our, our own programs? And Owen, look at yourself. Are you relying do you really believe that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that you will be able to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? We have to realize that the mission that we have is Spirit-empowered. And if we do it any other way, it will not happen. Here's the second thing. The mission is action-oriented. So it's Spirit-empowered. It's action-oriented. Look at verse 8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. This idea of a witness. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit, and in certain groups of churches, any church is susceptible to that. 
But sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we say, oh yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to do everything, so I don't have to do anything. So I don't make any plans, or I don't have any strategy, or I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing and wait for the Spirit to do it all. That's not how it works either. It says right here that you will be empowered by the Spirit in order to be witnesses. Now, if, if you grew, grew up in church, if you grew up in church and you hear the idea of being a witness, there's a good chance that you might break out into a cold sweat. Because if you grew up in church, you heard about, hey, we're going to go out this afternoon and we're going to go witnessing. Not with a G at the end, but just witnessing. And we're going to go out and we're going to go witnessing and we're going to have to go door to door. And we, and we panic. We hear the idea, you're going to be witnesses, and we just want to crawl in a hole and say, oh, please don't make me do that. Please don't make me be a witness. Because we have this idea in our mind of what witnessing looks like, and, and we don't want to do that. Partly because we feel like we've been imposed on before by other people's beliefs. We've had the religious people come to our house. Sometimes the religious people who come to our house are us or our friends, and they show up and think, this is an awkward interaction right here at my doorstep. But, but we think about it, and we think about it in those, those terms, and we feel guilty about imposing our ideas on other people until we realize that it's not us imposing our ideas on other people. It's us being empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to speak about how great Jesus is, not to try to force somebody to buy our product. We're saying, here's Jesus. He is the reason that you exist in the first place. He loves you. He died to pay for your sins. He gives you new life. He gives you hope, and he is worthy of your worship. We're not asking you to buy our product. We're wanting you to see who Jesus is and to see that he is worthy of worship. And so many times we go out and we do those things because of guilt. If you leave this morning and you feel guilted into being on mission, we've missed the point. We're not going out because of guilt. We're going out because our guilt has been taken care of. We're not going out because we feel guilty. We're going out because we know what it is for our guilt to be taken away because of Jesus. And here's the other hard thing that I have to come to the realization about. Lack of passion for the kingdom, lack of passion for being a witness, often reflects lack of passion for the king. And so if I'm not passionate about the spread of God's kingdom, I may have to look at my own heart and realize that I was never really passionate about the king to begin with. Because remember how our chart works. Worship at the top row, discipleship in the middle, missions at the bottom, it flows. If you are truly worshiping, then you will seek to live for Jesus every moment. And if you're living for Jesus every moment, then you will want to spread that idea. You want to spread his message as far and wide as you can go. And so we're spirit-empowered, we're action-oriented, and then here's the last point this morning. The last point is that the, the mission is outward-expanding. We mentioned this earlier, but at the end of Acts uh, 1.8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's so easy as a church, it's so easy as Christians, that we become inward focused, that everything comes in toward the middle. Except that this mission right here is outward expanding. 
And so if we are really doing our job as Christians, if we are really doing our job as a church, we will constantly be expanding outward. We will go here, we will go near, and we will go far. We will do Jerusalem, we will do Judea and Samaria, and we will do the ends of the earth. It's always about crossing barriers, crossing boundaries, spreading outward, saying, where have we not been? Where do we need to go next? And realize that these barriers that we're talking about are not just geographical barriers. I mean, it's hard enough to cross the state line, but realize that sometimes the barriers we have to cross are socioeconomic. I, I live in this socioeconomic bracket, but these people over here are in a different bracket, and I'm going to go. I'm going to cross a barrier that I would not normally cross. Sometimes it means we cross racial barriers or ethnic barriers. Sometimes it means we cross generational barriers. I'm going to go to someone older than me. I'm going to go to someone younger than me. And so as we're talking about this idea of being outward expanding, we want to think about what are those barriers? What are those boundaries that we are worried about crossing as a church? And then do we trust God's Spirit to give us the direction and the power that we need to go and and be witnesses? Are we constantly thinking about how is the message, how is the mission outwardly expanding? Here's a good way to think about it. As a church, our goal should be that our sending capacity is greater or more important than our seating capacity. Our sending capacity should be greater than our seating capacity. So many times as a church, and I'm guilty of this because you think about these things as as a pastor, we think about how many people can we get in here on Sunday morning? How many people can we seat in here on Sunday morning? And that's an important question. We are thankful that you are here. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here because we want you to check something off your list for this week. We're here because we want you to worship the living God. We want you to be on mission with us. But our goal can never be our seating capacity. Because then all of our focus and all of our energy becomes how many people can we get in here? How many people can we get in here close to us? And what have we left out? The idea that the mission is outward expanding not inward. It's not what we can do in here, it's what we can do out there. And so we come together and we worship and we study God's word and we encourage one another so that we will be sent, so that we will be on mission, so that we will go out and do these things. So, what happens now? I want us to ask two questions, and these are kind of on the bottom of your, of your notes there. The first is, where have we been? The incredible thing about First Baptist is that we're having an opportunity to build on a foundation of missions that has been here for a long time. First Baptist gives faithfully and to a very high degree in terms of finances to missions. And we will continue to do that. Now that may look a little bit different as as we move forward, as we have some of these conversations, but we will continue to give. This has been a giving church to missions and we'll continue to do that. This church has sent out missionaries. There are people on internationally, living internationally right now, who have come from this church. And we will continue to do that. This has been a church that has been on mission in this community. It's been on mission internationally. And we're going to continue to do that. But the reality is, and I saw this this last week, someone gave me a a notebook of pictures and newspaper clippings from the work that you all did after Katrina. 
And I remember being in New Orleans, and I remember the fatigue that sets in when you are continuing to give of yourself and give of yourself and do this ministry. And it's hard for people who don't live on the Gulf Coast to, to realize it, but you reach this just point of emotional and even spiritual fatigue. And this is a church that gave so much and did so much after Katrina. And at some point, you just kind of have to take a deep breath. But if we're not careful, when we take that deep breath, we'll realize, we'll look up and realize we're not really doing anything new right now. We're still telling the stories from five years ago or 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And hear me say, as clearly as I can say it, I am thankful for those stories from five years ago and 10 years ago and 15 years ago because that's our heritage here. That's our foundation. We just have to be so careful that we're not continuing to live in those stories and failing to do now what God has called us to do. And so what are we going to do now? Well, one thing we're going to do now is we are going to study the book of Acts. (laughs) We're going to read it. We're going to study on Sunday morning. We're going to read it some more. Hopefully you're going to talk about it. We're going to immerse ourselves in the book of Acts, what it means to be a church on mission. We are going to continue and take even more steps toward being a praying church. I'm going to bring a group of people together who are committed to missions, who are committed to prayer. If God is doing this work in your life, I want to know about it. Because we're going to get together, not so that you can plan your favorite mission trip, but so that we can come together as a church and say, what is God empowering us to do? What is God leading us to do? And if God is doing that work in your heart, in your life, and you want to be a part of that, let me know. And we're going to start that process together. Looking ahead to 2015, we're going to begin going. We're going to begin doing things outwardly as a church on purpose together on mission. I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like because the plans aren't finalized yet, but we are moving in that direction. And you say, I like that idea, but I just don't know if, if I can do that. I think I, might be, I think I might be too old to do that. I'm past that. Lorena Mayhew is 92 years old, and she lives in Bangkok, Thailand while her family lives in California. She teaches English as a second language as she proclaims the love of Jesus. She recently had a hip replacement, but she told this reporter, my hip hurts when I'm sitting at home just as much, so why sit there when I can be here? She doesn't see well because of macular degeneration, and she has cataracts, but that's okay because she's memorized all of her lessons, and she knows most of the Bible stories, so she doesn't need to read anymore, she said. She has two husbands, or she's had two husbands along the way who, who have died but have encouraged her in the ministry. And so she said, I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. She's thinking about moving back to California, but she's already identified a group of people there to work with if she moves back. And at 92, that's a big if for her, she said. You say, I'm too old. I, I, I can't do this. What can I do? Be committed, be creative. Be sacrificial, and above all else, do not use that as an excuse. You say, I'm too young. After I make it through high school or after I make it through college, then, then maybe I'll, I'll really get focused on missions. Guess what? 
every great missional awakening in the history of the church has begun not with people in their middle ages, it's begun with students. Students who got together and said, we are going to be a part of the good news of Jesus going to all people. In 1886, something called the Student Volunteer Movement began. Began with a man named Dwight Moody who got together a group of students and began to pour into them. They started holding conferences. More than conferences, they started holding prayer meetings. Just these students getting together and saying, God, empower us to take the news of Jesus to all people. You're not too old. You're not too young. But guess what? You might have kids. (laughs) And, And let's just be honest. Having, having kids is kind of, uh, uh, it, it takes up some time, and, and it takes some energy, and you say, I would be on mission except I've got these responsibilities known as kids, and what do we do as, as a family? Here's what I would tell you. Number one is, when we talk about this idea of missions, we're not talking about doing missions as if it's something we add to our lives. We're talking about being on mission. And so if you are a family, if you have kids, don't think about what else can I add to my life. Think about what am I already doing that I can be purposeful with that. If you need some resources, if you're a family, you need some resources about how we can be on mission. The best place I know to point you is something called Verge Network. If you just go online to your favorite search engine and you type in Verge Network and then you search at the top for family, it's full of ideas and, and, and directions that you can take your family to be on mission. More than anything, do not lay out an excuse that says, I can't do this. I can't be a part of this. Because every worshiper is a disciple, and every disciple is a missionary. As we come to our response time uh, this morning, there are three questions that I've just thrown up on the screen for you to be able to think about, to be able to process. After I pray, I'm going to be available at the front. I would love to pray with you. If God is doing a work, maybe, maybe even calling you and your family out to be involved in missions in a way you haven't been before. If God's just calling you to recommit here at this church, or maybe to be a part. Maybe you say, I want to be a part of a church that's on mission. I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to pray with you. We're going to do that. We're going to sing together, and we'll continue with our worship.